We are in Matthew chapter number 2 this morning, Matthew chapter number 2, and um, uh, I'm a very transparent person, so this is uh, actually kind of a message, a Christmas message that I preached about six or seven years ago, and I don't like doing reruns, occasionally the Lord will lead me to do that, and uh, I always, if I preach the same sermon, I always try to make it fresh, not leftovers. Uh, We'll just kind of look at this, not as leftovers, but as one of those timeless recipes that it's worth worth making again, because uh, in all honesty, uh, every Christmas, preachers have to come up with a new Christmas message. And this is actually my favorite recipe of all the Christmas messages that I preach. This one is my personal favorite. I hope it'll be your favorite uh, as well. In uh, Matthew chapter number 2, let's all stand. We'll begin reading in verse number 1. Now, the subtitle in my Bible, I've got an old Schofield Bible, right under chapter 2, it says, Visit of the Magi. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when ye have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also." When they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. When they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. When they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold, and frankincense, and myrrh, and being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. I want to speak on the mysterious men from the east. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, the special that the teens sang, for the congregational singing, for uh, just a good spirit among the congregation here today. Lord, we celebrate your birth uh, this Christmas season, and uh, Lord, I'm thankful that we have a nation that, uh, at least on our calendar, uh, we acknowledge the birth of the Son of God. And I know, Lord, that in many people, it's not in our hearts to worship you and to celebrate that birth, but Lord, at least culturally, we have this time that we draw attention to Jesus Christ, and we appreciate that. And Uh, Lord, I pray as we bring this message about these mysterious men, God, that you would use it in a special way. I don't know the spiritual condition of everyone listening today, 
uh, or of those that would watch or listen to this sermon at a later time, but you do. And we just ask that you would use it, get glory and honor, and perhaps if there be someone that is without Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, Lord, would you use the message to bring them to Christ, for it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. We read about these mysterious men, and as I think about this, the, the first thing I wanted to say is one of the things I like the most about Christmas, I, I used to like the Christmas songs that you'd hear in the stores and what have you, but the Christmas songs just ain't what they used to be. <laughs> But uh, it's, still, it's still kind of a break in the routine, and certainly it's better than the uh, nonsensical music that you normally hear in stores and in places of business. But the thing that I like probably the most about Christmas is lights. When we first moved here, somebody told us about Tanglewood, and they described it to me that it's just this subdivision and they got all these lights. And in my mind, I just thought that it was just a bunch of people who lived in this subdivision that all had a lot of Christmas spirit and they all decorated their houses and put a lot of lights on. And so we drove there and we got to the gate. I'm like, there's a gate here. And it cost us 20 bucks. And I mean, I was really, I was kind of upset about that. It's like, I don't want to pay 20 bucks to see people's Christmas lights. And so I'm kind of whining. I'm, I'm ready to turn around and go home. And my wife and the kids are like, oh, come on, pops, let's, let's do it. So, you know, I mean, I think I had 20 bucks to my name <laughs> at the time. So I gave my last $20 bill and I'm kind of, <laughs> I'm Grinch and Scrooge all rolled up into one. And so we started heading in there, and I started seeing the light show. And I'm like, wow. I mean, if you've never seen anything like that, that was really, really impressive. And so when we got done, I thought, wow, that's pretty good value, 20 bucks for all of that. <laughs> but I enjoy the lights. Uh, I heard for years about Brother James's lights, and finally... Several years ago, I drove all the way out to the other side of town, and I saw his lights. Well, he does an impressive job, and I understand almost every year you add some more lights and so forth. I asked him uh, here a couple services ago, I said, uh, how, many, how many circuits do you have all of your lights on? And he said, like, three, because I've had problems with the one circuit. Whoever wired my house, uh, Brother Josie, uh, they put one 15-amp circuit on the front porch. It's the same circuits that's in the garage, in the laundry room, the outlets on the back of the house, and so forth. There's probably about half of everything in the house that goes through that one 15-amp circuit. I had problems with it all the time. It's a wonder that we didn't burn the house down with Christmas cheer. So I finally, you know, thank God for LED lights. I mean, literally, you can get like about 10 times the lights on the same amount of power, but I like putting up lights. I did a few little things different this year, and I, uh, I made my own big, large Christmas tree. I've got a lot of compliments on that, by the way. Sister Christina said, well, if people will enjoy it, and it'll be worth all of the work and all the cost, and I go, no, it won't. I'm doing this for my wife. Not for the compliments. 
I don't, people who drive by my house, I don't care if they enjoy my lights or not. <laughs> but I do, I enjoy them. And uh, the only cost, if you want to make a big Christmas tree like I did, all you need is a paint extension pole, and you need one of those big umbrella bases for like an umbrella awning that's really, I mean, you can't hardly carry them, they're so heavy, and you just stick that in there and tighten that out, raise it up, drape all of your lights. You can engineer it, and it won't cost you. I think those trees like that cost about $200. Speaking of cost, somebody told me that they inquired, there's a company out there that will put up your Christmas lights for you. $15,000? That's what I heard. Hey, look, I'll do it for you for half of that. I will do at your home what I did at my house. I'll do it for $1,500. You just call me up next Christmas and we'll get you all taken care of. I, I worked for a sign company in Asheville and we had to put up lights and uh, it's kind of a pet peeve for me. You know, when you get a string of lights and have you ever seen them put them on a building and they just make a nice little crisp line? That's not easy to do because strings of lights, they're all twisted and so the lights go all this different direction. So if you're going to get this nice crisp straight line, you have to actually twist them and make sure that on that string of light, every bulb is facing either up or down on the strand of light. And trust me, when you've got a twisted light, that's not always easy to get them stay, to stay put. But a lot of hassle, a lot of work, but seriously, and maybe back to some spiritual stuff, um, this was the first Christmas light, this star that showed up in Bethlehem, or excuse me, to the, these mysterious men, I should say. And uh, we put a Moravian star on the top of our Christmas tree. And we have to light it up separately, and so whenever I plug it in, I always hum Handel's Messiah. It's just part of what we do. It makes it fun. It lights up, and it's really... I, I was, that's another thing. Everything with Christmas, I usually grumble, and then it's like, yeah, I like it. It's pretty cool. So thank God I've got a wife that has tried to rescue me from being a Grinch. So mysterious men from the East. Let's take a look at these mystery men. First of all, mystery number one, who were they? Who were they? Uh, we sing of them as kings. We three kings of Orient are. Uh, we often hear them referred to as magi. I mentioned that at the heading of my Bible, it says the visit of the Magi, I looked up Magi, M-A-G-I, I googled it, and the first thing that came up was this, modified adjusted gross income. <laughs> and I thought, well, that makes sense, perfect sense. Matthew's the one that wrote about him. Matthew was a tax collector, and Joseph and Mary had to go to Bethlehem because they were being taxed. So, sure enough, these were IRS agents. <laughs> I have a, obviously only a bachelor's degree in theology. Not reached that doctorate level just yet. 
But uh, seriously, uh, they are referred to as magi because uh, magi is the, uh, the Greek word that in this text it comes from uh, magos, which is plural of magi, and the magi were known as a subclass of Persian priests and philosophers. Now, historically, their religion was Zoroastrianism, and that is a monotheistic religion which is uh, listed also, it's referred to in the Quran as a religion that Muslims are supposed to persecute along with Judaism and Christianity and several others. And so in this particular part of the world, this class of religion was not an uncommon thing. Who were these mystery men? All we know for certain is what our text tells us is that they were wise men from the east. Mystery number two, how many of them were there? Well, we don't know how many of them there were. It is often assumed in Christmas plays and nativity scenes, and by the way, these wise men from the east, they show up later from the shepherds. When you see the you know, the, the wise men at the nativity scene and the shepherds and the little drummer boy over here to the left. He's in the Bible, right? When you see that nativity scene, it's not the way that it was. They, they came much later than the shepherds. We assume that there were three of them because in verse number 11, there's three different gifts that are list, listed, gold, frankincense and myrrh. And these gifts, by the way, uh, I believe without, uh, without any question that they had value that was even more important. Uh, the value of these gifts was their meaning more so than the expense or the, the monetary value of them. In the scripture, gold is a representative of deity and majesty. It's the ultimate material of value in the scripture, and it represents deity. Frankincense is a representation of prayer and spirituality, and myrrh, whenever myrrh appears, it's always connected to sorrow and death. And so these gifts were not just a circumstance or there was some meaning behind that. And I'm certain that probably these magi, they didn't know what their gifts were representing, but the Holy Spirit included it in the Bible to represent that Jesus was God manifest in the flesh. He was deity and that he was more than just a man. There was a spirituality in him, a connection with God, that's what the frankincense would represent, and then of course the myrrh, the connection of sorrow and death, Jesus was born to die. He was born not just to live, but he was born for the cross of Calvary. Now there could have been three wise men, there could have been 23 for all that we know. Uh, there's nothing that says that each one of these wise men from the east, that each had one gift. We know there were three different types of gifts, but it could have been that every wise man had all three of those things in his gift, and there could have been 23, or there could have only been two. 
All we know is that for certain is that there was more than one. And so that's why the rest is somewhat of a mystery. Mystery number three, where did they come from? Where did they come from? Well, I, I think you're getting the gist of my, my sermon here. We don't know where they came from. Uh, we can speculate that it might have been Mesopotamia. It could have been India. When I say Mesopotamia, that would be uh, Iraq and Iran. Uh, it could have been India, or it could have been even further east. It could have been China, or as they used to say, in the Orient. And that's where the song, We Three Kings of Orient, are. All of that is assumptions as to where they came from. Now, here's something interesting to think about. When they show up, Christ and Mary and Joseph are still in Bethlehem. Once again, inconsistent with our mystery here, we don't know why. Because they were from Nazareth, and they had made the four-day, roughly 90-mile journey down to Bethlehem when Mary was ready to give birth. They did that to be taxed. They had to go. And so after Jesus was born, for whatever reason, they didn't immediately return back to the area of Galilee or Nazareth as we know. Now, Jesus is called here a young child in verse number 11. Look at it once again. When they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother. And we also know that uh, in one of the other gospels that Herod, after he was mocked by the wise men and they didn't report back to him, he's like, because he had a motive he wanted to know where this Jesus was born because he didn't want to have to worry about someone that was going to be a future king. He didn't want the competition. And so he had plans that he was going to make sure that this baby boy didn't live. And we know that Herod made the proclamation that every child from two years old and younger was to be destroyed. And so we know that Jesus could have been as much as two years old during this time. Why did they stay in Bethlehem for two years? I don't know the answer to that. I don't think that any of us can really absolutely know. Did they begin their trip immediately when the star appeared? I'm talking about the wise men. Or was Herod, maybe, maybe Herod had this, well, let's be rather safe than sorry. And let's make sure. Maybe Herod knew that probably the child's going to be younger than one years old, but, you know, they didn't have CNN and they didn't have, everything was just word of mouth. Information traveled much slower. It was much more incomplete back then. And so maybe Herod thought, let's just be rather safe than sorry and let's just kill everyone two years old and below. All of this, these are good questions. We don't know where these wise men came from. We don't know how long their journey was. All we know is that they came from the east. That brings us to mystery number four. Uh, this is probably the one that I think about the most. Is like, how did they know? How did they know? Let's just say that you're 
you're a wise man in the east and you see this star up in the sky. Why would you automatically go, oh, let's go find out where the king of the Jews is? They, they had to know, there had to be some kind of information. We don't find any record that the angels showed up and told them what the star meant. They see the star, they begin to inquire, they begin to search, and the next thing you know, they all got together, however many of them there were, and said, let's start traveling toward the west and see if we can find where he that is born king of the Jews is. How did they know? Where did they get that information? How did they recognize it as his star? Look at verse number two. They said, where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east. They didn't inquire about what the star meant. They only inquired what the star was. Now, by the way, look at that in verse number two. They said, where is he that is born king of the Jews? Do you know that that is the very first question in the New Testament? How appropriate is that? The first question, wouldn't that be a great question that everyone ought to ask? Where's Jesus? I'm looking for him. Now, the shepherds, they were no doubt Jewish. And when they saw the star, they heard the angels' voices. And they were moved with emotion. They were moved with fear. We talked about that in our young adult class this morning. But the Gentiles here, it only says that they merely saw a star. Now, let me read to you out of 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. And here's an important doctrinal truth here. It says in verse number one, excuse me, chapter one, verse 22, for the Jews require a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom. That term Greek is a general term that's talking about all of the Gentiles. Everyone who is, uh, I guess, somewhat educated and is not a Jew, it says that they seek after wisdom. But Paul goes on to say in verse 23, but we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness, but unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men." We don't have a star to point us to Jesus Christ, but I tell you what, we have something that is far better. We have the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Is it possible that these wise men from the East, that they had somehow generationally been influenced by the ministry and testimony of Daniel of Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And who's that? Well, that's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. During the captivity, perhaps maybe they brought Bible prophecy. You know, everything that is written in the Old Testament is not everything that every prophet understood. There were many things that God had revealed that he chose to not have them record in the Scripture. And so much of that could have been word of mouth. It could have been teaching. Maybe, maybe they had great, great, great grandparents that were wise men that were friends 
with Dan Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. All of these are possibilities. How did they know? Well, once again, all we know for certain is that they knew that it was his star. My last mystery, I think, is an important question, and that is, what exactly was their motive? They knew that the star was the star of the king of the Jews, but why did they begin to search? Why did they leave the east? Obviously, their motive was different than Herod's motives. Herod wanted to know where Jesus was so he could destroy him. These wise men from the east, they're bringing gifts. They're acknowledging that Jesus was the king. What was in their heart? What were they thinking? Were they merely curious? You know, it seems to me like that's an awfully long journey and a lot of hassle just to satisfy one's curiosity. I would think that there's probably something else going on in their heart. Were they like the Athenians who were just looking for something new to talk about? You know, when you think about uh, what Paul said in the book of Acts about the, the people in Athens that they, they lived just to hear and to tell something new, I thought about that and I thought, you know what, that's just social media, only slower. <laughs> That's all, it's just curiosity and wanting to talk about this and talk about that. They had social media back then, it just moved a whole lot slower. Did these, were they curious? Were they wanting to find out something new that they could come back and it make them look smart and superior and intelligent? Or, or, were they perhaps seeking something that was real to fill a void that their religion and their own wisdom could seemingly never, ever fill. You know, you talk about the acid test of Christianity. I, I'm all for apologetics. Apologetics is basically trying to prove what you believe. And I believe in biblical apologetics. I've got a book right here that I personally believe this is the word of God, the very words of God. To me, it is the final authority in all matters of faith and practice. And I know for some, maybe no one in this room here today, but some out there in the world would say, well, that's just, that's foolishness to just follow a book that cannot be proven. Do you know, there is no belief system known to man that doesn't require faith to believe it? What about, I believe in science? There is, it takes a whole lot more faith to believe in science than it does to believe that this book was inspired by God Almighty, the creator of the universe. Way, way more. This book right here bears witness to itself in its wisdom, its authenticity, what this book says about me, I'm telling you what, I can honestly say everything this book has told me about myself has been true. Yes. Everything that this book has told me about me, if I will believe in Jesus Christ, what will happen to me, everything so far, I'm not in heaven yet, but everything so far has been consistent with what this book says. I look around at the world that I live in. This book here has the answers. I can see it consistently 
always true and always right. I choose to believe this book. And I know from personal experience, I know from observation that no matter how passionate someone is about their beliefs, no matter how much they strive to defend their position, there is nothing but Jesus Christ that can fill that void that's in the human heart that religion and wisdom and recreation and all the things out there that all they do is just leave you more empty and more empty as time goes on. Acts 17, verse number 27, that they should seek the Lord. If haply they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. Jesus Christ is not far away. He's right here. He's present today. The message is right here within your grasp. The wise men from the east, they had to travel far to find Jesus Christ. You don't have to travel anywhere at all physically, only spiritually, only in your heart do you have to say yes to God. Well, all we know for certain is that they were seeking. What was their motive? Well, they're looking for the baby king of the Jews. My conclusion here this morning, you know, if you look at verse number nine with me once again, Look at here what it says. When they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. Picture this. They're far, far away in the east, and they look out at the horizon, and they see his star. That was a light. What was that? I, I don't know what that was. When they say it was a star, that word star means a number of different things in the Bible. They didn't, they didn't have, uh, you know, the telescopes that we have. They didn't have outer space travel. It's not saying that that was an actual galactic star that was over Bethlehem. I mean, let's face it. If it was close enough for them to recognize that it's hovering over Bethlehem, then just scientifically speaking, the mass of that star would have destroyed this entire galaxy. So it's not saying to them a star was something that appeared as a light that's in the sky. They had different understanding of what the galaxy was all about. They just look up in the sky and they would see lights. As they would see that light that was seemingly hovering over the town of Bethlehem, they didn't even know where Bethlehem was. They just knew that there is a light that is hovering over there Somehow they knew that it was connected with he that is born king of the Jews, and they said, let's go see what we can find out. We want to see this. But notice it says here that in verse number nine, that when they departed, that the star which they saw in the east went before them until it came. That star moved. And I'll tell you the point that I want to bring out to you here this morning is this. Maybe it's one of the most important points that I have today. And that is this, that when you respond to God's light, he'll give you more light. But if you're waiting for him to give you complete light before you respond, then you're probably 
not going to see, he's not going to give you any more light until you'll respond to the light that he gives you. Romans chapter, chapter number one says that mankind is without excuse. No one's going to stand before God and say, God, you never told me. I never knew about Jesus. I didn't know what I need to do. And God's going to record, give the, show the recording of the light that he showed them of the time that he drew them and spoke to their heart and tried to steer them in the right direction and he's going to replay their thoughts and their heart and realize that, you know what, God gave you light and you rejected it. God's not going to give you more light until you follow the light that he gives. Hey, if God would show me a miraculous star like that, I would, I would follow it. That's what you're thinking. Well, I got news for you. You have miraculous lights all over the place. You live in America. You got gospel light all over the place. You've got it on radio. You've got it on television. You've got it in gospel preaching churches all around. I mean, I can't speak for every church just because it's a church and just because it has a steeple doesn't mean that they preach the gospel. But I guarantee you, there are a lot of churches in this county, some on every corner. I mean, there are literally, you can stand at a corner and you can see five different churches in some places in this county. And I guarantee you, at least two or three of them preach the gospel. Why would God give you some star in the east to follow when you won't cross the street to follow the light? that he has given you. Back when we lived in Idaho, and um, back when uh, coming home for Christmas for Lynn and coming back to North Carolina was something that we just couldn't do every year. You know, we, we didn't have much money, plane tickets were high, long ways to travel, and so one year we decided, look, we're going to take a couple weeks off here and we're going to drive across country. I had a 1985 Chevy Suburban and we loaded up the kids and family and all of the stuff that we were taking and we traveled across the country. We spent Christmas with Lynn's family and then uh, because it's about, when you got kids, it's about a three, three and a half day journey. When my dad was alive, it was just two days because he didn't stop. He didn't stop to sleep. There were other things that he didn't stop to do that I wasn't near as tough as him, but he could make some good time across the country. I could make better time, but not with the family that I had. So it took a long time, but anyhow, we, we, we left Asheville after Christmas. We'd had a great time with family load up the Suburban, we start heading, well, uh, my wife's uncle, he, is, he was running tour buses, and he said, man, you, if you can, if you've got time, you ought to swing by when you're going through Nashville and see the Grand Ole Opry at Christmas time. The lights are incredible. And so, you know, me being the Grinch and man that I am, it's like, I just want to make good time. I just want to get home. That's what we want to do, but she talked me into it, and so we made the little detour, and we went and saw the Christmas lights at the Grand Old Opry. They were incredible. 
I mean, it was like you could just see, it was like a city that was lit up. Every square inch of every tree on the property was just lit up with lights. Every building was framed, and it was an amazing sight to see. Our kids were so tired from traveling and from everything. They're in the back seat asleep. Hey, kids, wake up. You got to see this. Wake up. We couldn't get them awake to see the lights. We went to the trouble. We were there, but they slept through it. They slept through it. I wonder if that's not a spiritual lesson for many today that, you know, God goes to the trouble to give you light. There's all kinds of light around us, but so many people today just, I'm too tired, it's too much trouble, and they just go through life asleep and never recognize that light that God has So the mysterious men from the east, who were they? I don't know. How many were there? Hard to tell. Where did they come from? Well, there's a handful of possibilities. How did they know? Beats me. What was their motive? I don't know. It could have been a lot of different things. But here's what we do know. They found Christ. They found Christ. They responded to the light and understanding that God gave them, and they did something about it. Can you say the same? Can you say that, yeah, I am responding to the light that God has given me?